This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Since Fight Back was on the air yesterday, there have been two more pedestrian fatalities in Toronto. A man in his 60s is dead after he was struck by a cab in front of Scarborough General Hospital early this morning, around 20 to 1. And yesterday afternoon, a 38-year-old woman was killed after an SUV mounted the sidewalk near Rogers Centre at a small outdoor market. Now, Mayor Tory issued a statement last night expressing his sadness over the death of the woman and once again committed to ensure that all those who use our roads, pedestrians, cyclists and drivers, are safe. Traffic expert Toronto Police Constable Clint Stibbe joins me in studio now to talk about solutions to improve pedestrian safety. Thanks for coming into the Zoomerplex today. Thanks for having me. How common is it to have two separate pedestrian deaths in Toronto in less than a day? Uh, We have seen it. Uh, I'm not going to say it's frequent, but it does occur. Uh, On average, we see per year, uh, in recent years anyway, uh, we've seen on average about 40 to 39, uh, as low as 24 uh, per year. So we haven't seen a terribly high number, but that being said, we're a long way from zero. And uh, when we look back historically, these numbers used to be substantially higher. In some cases, during the course of a year, we'd look at a total number of fatalities of an excess of 120 to 130 fatalities per year. So our uh, our safety campaigns and our, our goals of making the world safer are progressing forward, but they're still a long way off from obviously being perfect. Back in the 90s, we used to have numbers way up there in terms of pedestrian fatalities. And I think it's important to bring that up because we have been talking a lot about this of late and we do need to put it in perspective. So give us a little bit of history going back a few years. Well, even uh, looking back into the early 90s, as I mentioned, it wasn't uncommon for us to see over 100 uh, fatalities every year. And uh, again, with the focus on the impaired drivers, speeders, uh, the... Uh, individuals, uh, whether cyclists or pedestrians, following the rules or not following the rules, whatever the case may be, uh, we found that we've managed to reduce the number of collisions that we face. But at the same time, there's more cars in the city. There's more pedestrians in the city. I mean, if you compare 60s or 70s, the number of uh, vehicles and pedestrians that were in the city compared to now, there's a tremendous difference. I mean, we look at um, RBC Tower, however many thousands of people work there. Well, that tower wasn't around several years ago. Mm-hmm. So the environment is changing. Our roads are designed still around the 60s, 70s type mentality. So those roads have to change. Our rules have to adapt to change as well. Uh, But unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, when we look at the Highway Traffic Act, it still deals with horse and carriage on a roadway. I mean, that's going back, you know, into the 30s, 20s, you know, 1900s. So our laws have been designed based on the problems that have been identified going forward from when cars were first brought onto the road, when pedestrians were first being struck by vehicles, uh, drivers were driving while impaired. These types of things have been done really by reaction and not by proaction because the reality is we've had a situation with, even by example, Google Glass, which 
The question was, how is that going to be enforced? Does the law need to be changed to address it? Well, Google Glass fell to the wayside. So there was no need to deal with it. It's no longer being used or, or uh, produced. So we have to deal with the problems that uh, going forward are becoming problematic. Um, if we see one incident, does that mean that that incident, a new law needs to be created for that one specific incident? I'm going to suggest no. But at the same time, uh, is it a one-off? Is it an accident? That's what everybody calls it. But when we look at the collisions, even over the last two days, there was an error. Somebody made a mistake. So whether it was a pedestrian uh, or a driver that made that error, we now have to work to determine that. And we have no interest in, um, uh, I guess, laying blame on one individual. We're looking at what the evidence presents. And we need to make an impartial assessment of what happened and what can be done to prevent it going forward. So if it's a a situation where maybe the driver uh, made an error, does that driver need to be charged as a result of what happened? Uh, Is there a reasonable explanation as to why a certain thing may have occurred? If so, is this a design flaw in the vehicle? Is it something something that can be changed going forward? Like we have to look at many, many different angles, but we're not excusing anybody for what they've done because the reality is anyone that operates a motor vehicle is responsible for everything they do behind the wheel of that motor vehicle. That being said, when we look at who is at fault, per se, um, the, we look at the Highway Traffic Act, the rules that are applied, and what that individual did at the time of the incident. And that goes for pedestrians, cyclists, or drivers. So we have to keep in mind that this uh, doesn't just address one point. It looks at everything. And, I mean, we've had in situations, uh, locations where pedestrians were being struck regularly. And uh, in one particular case, it did involve a senior's home, and uh, there was a... Um, uh, traffic, or sorry, not a traffic box, a newspaper box on the opposite side of the street. The individuals from the seniors' home were actually trying to get across the street, mm-hmm. but it was over top of a hill, so cars were coming over the hill and not seeing, and not seeing the pedestrians, and the individuals were being struck. So, is it the fault of the pedestrian? Is it the fault of the driver? The reality was we needed to relocate the uh, the traffic, or sorry, the newspaper box in order to make it safe, and that prevented those types of collisions. So, we look at each collision to see if it is something environmental that has caused this type of incident. Or is it a driver error or pedestrian or cyclist error? You're listening to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown, in for Libby Snymer, and uh, I'm joined by Toronto Police Constable Clint Stibby. What do you think about uh, the proposed pedestrian safety campaign over the next 10 years endorsed by Mayor Tory and proposed by Councillor Jay Robinson? Are they pretty much right on in your estimation? I'm sorry, uh, which, say that the, the new pedestrian safety campaign that they're talking about reducing the number of fatalities or the percentage of fatalities minimum by 20% over the next 10 years. And Jay Robinson is suggesting that it could get down to zero. Is that feasible? Well, the, the, uh, all the police services are working towards Vision Zero, which is zero uh, fatalities uh, throughout the province and, in fact, throughout Canada. We want to make Canada some of the safest roads in the world, if not the safest roads in the world. But rules can be made. Uh, but they have to be followed. Uh, drivers have to understand that you know, they're held accountable if they're making that unsafe left turn or right turn at an intersection where we see the two highest uh, no- numbers of fatalities uh, at intersections. And then the third is the mid-block situation where really if a pedestrian crosses at an intersection, we could cut those uh, fatalities completely out of the, the counts that we see every year. Because even now looking back at uh, so far as of May 31st this year, uh, of our, uh, at the time, uh, we had, what, 17, uh, yeah, 18 uh, collisions. Eight of the pedestrians that were killed were crossing mid-block. 
So we could reduce that number just by eight if everybody crossed at a marked intersection. Mm -hmm. That being said, when we looked at uh, turning movements, there were five individuals that were killed as a result of a turning movement at an intersection. So where a pedestrian may have been struck in a crosswalk, uh, where they very likely did have right of way. So really, it's it's a multi-angled approach that needs to be taken. But at the same time, it is something that whether the police, the government, and the community see the issue and they all work together to fix it, meaning of following all the rules and doing what you're supposed to and driving defensively and keeping your speeds down. I mean, there's so many things that you can do, but the drivers primarily, because they're the ones that are involved in every collision, a motor vehicle has to be involved in it to be called a collision. Um, drivers are still taking lives. And the reality is, no matter what happens, whether you're at fault or not, your actions in some way, shape, or form has resulted in the loss of an individual's life. Now, you mentioned moving forward and identifying the problems, uh, identifying the problems that we have and the challenges that we have for the future. What do you see those being in terms of how we're changing as a society? Our demographics are actually changing quite uh, noticeably. Uh, by 2028, we're uh, expecting the senior population in Toronto to increase by approximately one-third. So it's going to be between eight and 900,000 uh, seniors in the city of Toronto. What that's going to do is uh, not going to say that the pedestrian uh, fatalities involving seniors are going to climb way up, but that demographic does presently make up the largest number of fatalities that we see. Now, when we look at uh, that type of demographic or that type of number increase, we have to now adhere to the rules even more. We need to make sure that uh, individuals, when they're crossing the roads, are crossing exactly where they need to cross because the older you get, even if you're only struck at a very low speed, which we have seen in the past, uh, a simple bump of the head could be enough to end your life. So uh, we've seen a number of collisions in the past where there was no speed, there was no major injury visible to the individual. In fact, in some cases, the person walked away only to have a complication uh, due to the health complications because of the age. And I think some people, some people think or assume that because older people move more slowly as they're crossing the intersection, that that's the reason why they're getting hit. But in fact, what you're suggesting is that elderly people don't recover from an injury, the same injury that someone who's younger would recover? Well, when we look at our, our collision hotspots, per se, downtown is probably the central area where we look at collisions involving individuals. But when we look at the age group involved, it's very rare we see a fatality. And in most cases, a 25 to 45 years of age, pretty much everybody survives a collision mm -hmm. downtown. But you... Now, bring somebody in that maybe has a compromised health uh, system where, again, it's being old or, or maybe some health issues underlying. That's where we're losing the individuals because of complications, whether it's blood clots or, um, uh, in some cases, cardiac death, any number of different things that can occur because of blunt force trauma to the chest. You know, many different types of things occur and complications uh, arise. But the more significant the injury and the younger you are, the more likely you will survive. Zoomer Radio listeners uh, have questions and comments. Catherine in Scarborough, what would you like to add to the conversation? Catherine, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, here I am. Hi. Just that I live right in the area of Scarborough General Hospital, mm -hmm. and so I use that area a lot. And they constantly, west of Lawrence McCowan, are crossing jaywalk, like crossing in the middle of the block. And to me, because it's a hospital, a lot of older people do, like they'll sometimes be stuck right in the middle and the cars are going both directions, like that, you know, past them. But it seems to me that some, because it's right in front of a hospital, I'm wondering if there's like a crosswalk should be put there or something put there to 
to make it safer for the people because they're going to cross there as the front doors are right there at the hospital, right? I, I was actually at that scene this morning, and it's approximately 100 metres to the intersection. So you essentially would be putting a uh, – but it's probably not even 100 metres, actually. It's probably less than oh, that. Oh, okay. So you would actually put it now a crosswalk. So Something. close to an intersection. I don't know. I just see it yeah. so often. Oh, yeah, you, you do. I, and do totally. As I was there, I was seeing it too. But the reality is that it is so close to an intersection, there is no reason that you can't use it. But did I see people run across in the middle, across seven lanes of traffic, three eastbound, three westbound, plus a middle turn lane, which traffic can come either direction. So, like, you're taking your life into your hands, attempting to cross that roadway at that location. That, that, is, that brings up a good point, though, for some areas of Toronto. I, I lived off the Danforth for 16 years, and between Jones Avenue and Pape Avenue, there's no place to cross. So that's a long walk either way to cross the street. And uh, in that neighborhood there, we always thought right at the shoppers, they should have had a crosswalk there. Is there any, is there any uh, re-examination of some of the major streets in Toronto to consider having crosswalks so people don't Jay, I mean, they're going to jaywalk anyway, but at least they could do it safely. Well, you know what? What has to happen is uh, if uh, somebody in the community has identified an area that they think maybe needs to be reassessed, they can uh, send that information to their local ward councillor. The councillor can then forward it to the Toronto Transportation for a reassessment where necessary. It's not the job of the police to make the assessment of where these areas need to be changed. If we do see, because of a collision, we've identified that there is a concern here because of something, then we do put that forward. But uh, the reality is we have, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,500 kilometers of roads in the city of Toronto. And Toronto Transportation is in charge of all of them. So they have to build everything according to certain specific guidelines, locations, uh, sight lines, uh, barriers, whatever the case may be. Even even the distance from a, a traffic pole to the edge of the uh, traffic control light has to be a very specific distance. So there are so many rules in place because they are trying to make it as easy to navigate through the city as well as as safe as possible. But things change. So in some cases, and it's no different with our school crossing guard program, where an individual requests a crossing guard when we make those assessments, because those ones are the ones we do, uh, in some cases, um, there's maybe three children crossing at a crosswalk. Well, that doesn't justify a person being there uh, for six hours a day for three individuals crossing. So the, the reality is, we have to be smart with what we do. We have to try and get the biggest bang for our buck. It's mm-hmm. the best way to put it. And to just be spending money to put personnel in locations that are not going to bear any uh, positive results uh, or uh, noticeable gains where we can actually justify the expenditures makes it very challenging because we need to keep in mind that we have a responsibility to the city taxpayers, we have a responsibility to the city government, and we have a responsibility to the community as a whole for safety. Laura, you're on Fight Back uh, with Constable Clint Stibby. Do you have a comment about pedestrian safety? Yes. Um, in the country where I live, they have signs say, warning you about a deer crossing. Has anybody ever put up a sign, warning sign saying pedestrian crossing ahead of the place? For uh, involving school crossing areas, yes, that is traditionally uh, any, done. Well, you're talking about pedestrians being hit when the cars come over the hill. Well, th- th- that was a long time ago. And uh, again, the problem with that was identified as being a newspaper box on the wrong side of the street. That was the reason those collisions yeah, were occurring. I can hardly hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm speaking yeah. as loud as I can. But uh, uh, the point being that when we look at uh, at areas for collisions or habitual areas, if you will, um, we do 
make suggestions where necessary to Toronto Transportation. At the same time, uh, Toronto Transportation tracks all collisions in the city of Toronto, how they occurred, who they involved, where they occurred, what the level of injuries were, the time of day, the day of the week, any number of different um, uh, categories that they track. So they actually do break it down to the upteenth degree. That being said, if they see a hotspot or they identify maybe the – let's give Lauren the uh, – uh, Castle Frank, for instance. Let's say we had habitually one collision after another at that location. Well, then the city will look at it to see what is causing these collisions. Is it the light position? Is it uh, a pedestrian crossings? Uh, whatever the case may be. And they make adjustments to those locations when identified. But until those areas are identified, we can't just take a scattergun approach and say this applies to all locations in the city because believe it or not, each and every intersection, each and every moment of the day is a different situation. So just because you've had one person cross uh, in one location and be struck doesn't mean that there's a rash of them there. But at the same time, we need to keep in mind that the, uh, I guess, the viability of making a sudden change to that intersection for one single collision isn't necessarily a good investment uh, for the city's resources and uh, essentially the, the community. The community needs to see a benefit from the work that's done to make the world safer. Well, it's good that we're having this conversation uh, over the last week or two, uh, however long we've been talking about pedestrian safety more recently, because it reminds us all as drivers and pedestrians how we should act when we share the road. So thank you for being part of the conversation today. Thank you. Constable Clint Stibby from Toronto Traffic Services here on Zoomer Radio. Fight back. Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.